name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Thank you guys for actually putting up with me. Abuna is just really nice. Um, I'll miss you guys. I don't know if you'll really miss me back. But um, So last night is Q&A. Um, so I'm going to randomly slide through because there's a lot of them and obviously we're not going to be able to do all of them. Okay. So first question is, how do you battle loneliness? Um, you're probably not alone in that question, which is probably why you got upvoted a lot. Um, because this is the generation of loneliness. Um, I know everybody's always ranting about it, but it's actually true. Social media has destroyed you guys. Um, where everything is behind a screen, you can say whatever you want. Um, and then in real life, it's completely different. Even in this service, we struggle a lot because FOMO is a real phenomenon. Um, and so even for activities that people want to do, they don't want to go until they know who's going. Um, and so then it's like, there's an event, it gets announced, and then everybody calls everybody else. Right? I'm like, are you going? Are you going? Are you going? And then goes to whoever's asking you um, until last minute, and then everybody come, right? But the issue is that if nobody gets out of themselves, then nobody is going to stop being lonely. So this is something that y you need to do some work on, and your community does both, right? In the sense of if you're lonely, ask about someone. Reach out to somebody, right? Um, because then at least your immediate need for social interactiveness, again, assuming that your motivation is, is good, can be met. Um, because it's not wrong to have social time. So whether you have a right balance, et cetera, et cetera, I'm just assuming that your loneliness is valid and good and, and right. I'm sure there's some kind of loneliness that might be stemming from something else, but just the normal type. Reach out to somebody, right? Um, youth groups and activities, that's part of the reason why we have youth group. Um, sometimes it sucks, right? Like it's not like every time you go to youth group, it's like the time of your life. But part of the goal of it is creating a community so that you can have community, right? Because if you have absolutely no place for it, and the reason I'm saying that is that even if you're not somebody who goes all the time, why not go enough? Because then your complaint is, well, I don't have friends at church because everybody's in their own clique. And it's like, right, but you're also might be in some way contributing to how that got caused, right? Um, and it's not about blame, it's about solving it, right? So it's like, if I go enough, then at least I might know enough people that I have some in to something. Because many of us, myself included, when you're distant from something for a long time, it's, it gets awkward, right? Where it's like, am I really going to go? It's been a while. And then everyone's going to ask me, why haven't you been here? And then it's, that's awkward. And then there's more attention. I don't want, like, we create our own, like, cycles, our loops. So participate in the things that are available to you, right? Like actively. And we've talked about this a lot throughout the week in different ways. Use your gifts, right? Because you'll also enjoy getting out when you're getting out to do things that you like. So then you might not even be lonely, not necessarily because you're even with other people, but because you're actually just happy, right? Like loneliness isn't just from when you're alone. Right? Sometimes loneliness is just that idleness of being solo. Sometimes the idleness is what's creating it. Right? So find out what is your cause because I bet you the solution is actually very simple. Right? Um, unless your issue is anxiety, which has its own thing, right? then the solution to loneliness is, is actually really simple. It's just go out. Right? So try and investigate what's your personal like, reason for it. Um, and it might be that you're not connecting to a particular community. That could be fine, right? It depends whether it's because of something wrong or because just not a match. That's not the end of the world, right? But there, there is some way to be satisfied in that way. So there's a, a few questions about um, depression. Um, 
how to battle it, um, some thoughts that speaking to others about it makes others not call them back. If I speak to others about it, I never hear again. I just want someone to ask about my well-being and care every while a friend. And that's related to the loneliness issue, right? But I'm scared of sounding like a jerk when I talk about this because I do feel for whoever's going through this, right? What I'm trying to say is something to be careful of because there's real depression, okay? And there's also self-diagnosed, like, depression. There's just being moody, right? And so I'm, I'm saying be careful that if you're just the moody type, that you're also not blaming the whole of your situation on everyone else, right? Like, like we like to be very fast in the church to say we believe in mental illness, and that's a real thing, because we do. That is a real thing, right? But I'm also saying don't neglect the other part that might be in your hand as well, right? Because, for example, and I've gone through this myself, like maybe not with the depression part, but for example, I didn't like my illness. Okay, and I didn't like my rules, and I didn't like gaining weight, and I didn't, there's a lot of aspects that I don't like. So all I did was ever talk about it, right? And I never thought about how irritating that must be to the rest of the world, right? That every time we have a conversation, it's like, yeah, I can't eat that. Yeah, I can't eat that. Do you think I've gained weight? Yeah, I gained weight because I have a disease. I have a crappy disease. Did you know I have a disease? Right, like, and boom, like all over the time. And then every time you come together being like, today's a good day, but I'm flaring a little. Today is better because I'm not flaring. Did you notice I'm not flaring? Right? Like, and to other people, it's like, I, I don't really care. I don't care how fat you are. I don't care how skinny you are. I'm making it about that. Right? So that's what I'm saying. Be careful that you're not doing that in another way. Right? Of being like, how come nobody asks about me? And then you start measuring how much they ask about other people. Right? And then if they really cared, they would have done. You're creating a scenario in your head that you're not going to emerge from. And you're evaluating people in a way that they can never pass because you're holding them to a standard in your head that they're supposed to meet, and then they might even be wanting to gratify you and feel like they just can't, right? So just be very careful that you're not the one digging your own hole, right? Having said that, right, is the stuff from the other part of saying, all right, well, what is within your means? Because start with what is in your control first. If your focus is always starting with where is not in your control, Again, you'll never be satisfied, right? You just, you won't find an answer. If you're like, no, the solution to my problem is that so-and-so calls me once a week. I'm sorry, but even if so-and-so calls you once a week, you're not going to be satisfied. You'll, the next week, be like, so-and-so is calling me because I told them that they need to call me every week, right? It's not because they want to, right? I bet you if it was up to them, they wouldn't, right? Or when they called me, they just weren't feeling it. Right, and I, all I really need is just someone to be nice, right? And it's like, okay, and then if they start being really nice, like you're faking, you're not actually, like you're, you're, you can't. So if instead it's like, okay, well, what's within mine? There's nothing wrong with telling your friends, right? Like, hey, I get in these ruts, just have good communication. And sometimes I need someone to pull me out of myself, right? So could you guys like come through, right? Where, like, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing, it's not okay to ask people for support. It's a sign of a, a deeper level of friendship, actually, if you can, okay? But it's just about, there's a freedom within friendship where you can't de demand, per se, right? There's a, supposed to be a freedom in friendship where we respect each other as who each individual is, and there's a baseline trust that we actually care, right? So have that rooted in there, but you might also need to sometimes be like, hey, when I get in these moods, I need help, right? Like I used to tell someone earlier, when I was studying in Ottawa, I told Abuna Joe and Abuna Anthony Murad, I'm like, this is the season I'm going to flare, I'm going to gain like 40 pounds, I'm going to hate it, and I'm going to ask you every single time if I've gained weight. Whatever you say is a wrong answer. I'm like, just saying it, just deal with it, move on, just nod your head and don't answer. Right? And I'm like, because I know that about myself now. Right? And then they're not worried about my expectations from them about me. Right? Or just being like, but you did. Right? I don't want to hear that. If they didn't, I'm like, I know you're lying. Right? That's what I mean, it's like we, we're, we're going to go in the circle. So whatever's in your control, whatever you can communicate, do. But as I'm saying, also this whole thing about finding your talents, I really think is a big deal. Right? Because when you're locked up on your own to deal with these thoughts and emotions, of course it's going to be amplified. Right? Like you're, you're, you're by yourself with the thoughts. That's a monastic warfare. This is why monks like 
are supposed to not be allowed to be by themselves, like we're talking about Pope at the beginning of the monasticism, is so that they're not alone with those thoughts, right? It's like, get out, be, be busy, interact with people until you can get a grip on it, that you have a better sense of self, right? And then you can venture out on how much alone time and how much all of those. Um, if it reaches, as somebody asked here, um, that you're suicidal, then definitely you need to get external help. Right? That's something, if it reached that level, then there's something much more serious going on. Right? It could be something chemical. Right? Um, it could be something extra in the social area. There's, there's a million reasons that it's not my job to diagnose. Um, but just saying that, in that case, definitely reach out immediately for help. Right? Though, then that's not something that you can just necessarily solve, um, especially if the thoughts get um, intrusive. But don't be ashamed of those thoughts, because the only way to get help with thoughts is to expose them, right? Is, is to let them out. Otherwise, the longer you hide a thought, the more it controls you, the more you fear it. What do you mean by your patron saint chooses you? Um, I don't always say that. I, I would say that your patron saint could choose you. Um, like that, that is a thing, um, but it doesn't mean that everybody's patron saint chooses them. Um, although some would beg to differ, like the late um, His Grace Bishop Ruiz, um, where he he yelled at me once because he was like, "Ask your intercessor, Merimina," and I was like, "I'm um, Antonius," and he was like, "I said," and, and everyone who was on my race, he was usually calm, like like he's not somebody who got flustered. And I've never cut him off before, but I did. I felt like a source of like angst. Um, and he, so he repeated again, he's like, you're interested in what I mean? I'm like, I said St. Anthony. Um, and then the third time he actually snapped. And he goes, and I'm telling you what I mean. Um, my old name was Mina. So he was saying, he goes, you didn't choose. He goes, you think you chose your name? Um, like, no, my parents did. Um, but so there is a, there is a school that they, that they could, and, and often that really could be the case. In the same way, for example, that there's a reciprocal, as we saw, relationship between Pope Carlos and Marimina um, in their lives. So in some cases, a saint might choose somebody. They could be assigned by God. It could be circumstantial. It could be for the sake of somebody else in the family or a friend that they've connected you with. Like, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons. But basically, like, to not over-philosophize, I just say, like, if Christ is risen, then the saints aren't dead. That's the premise. Okay, so if Christ is risen and the saints aren't dead, the kingdom of heaven is here, coming, and now. Okay, and in that regard, the saints are just family members, right? So, like, if you want, I joke people like you can call them like Hello Baba Krolos if you want, right? Uncle Saint George, right, or cousin Saint George, whatever. They're family members. So, within the and the reason I'm using that language is that within the dynamic of family and friends you already might naturally gravitate to some people. In other cases, somebody might have initiated a conversation with you and then you liked them, right? So it's, all of that is normal, right? So don't worry if your patron saint didn't choose you, it's not the wand chooses the wizard. It's like, it's just life. Um, so there's also nothing wrong with experimenting, saying, oh, I'm just gonna look for someone I like. There's nothing wrong with that. You might even end up liking people for different circumstances. In the same way, for example, that if I want certain advice, I might go to my brother for a particular topic. I might go to another person from another, like there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's things that can match other things. Um, here's a one that presses some of my buttons socially. Um, it's a great question. How do you live in humility daily in today's society? Despite the situation, arrogance, pride, anger, popularity, I feel there's too much judgment in society. Um, yeah, this one gets to me because I think this generation as a whole, I don't mean you guys as, as a, an age group, I mean our whole era, like including my age and older, is so arrogant. Um, where we talk like we're the standard of truth all the time. Um, I've given some talks about this, so I'm going to try not to rant for very long on it. But I say start off by watching your language. Pay attention to how often you say clearly, obviously, definitely, I know, I just, de like, absolutely. 
that kind of language betrays a confidence in what you're saying as though it's an absolute truth. And have you ever challenged whether what you're saying is absolute truth? Right? And so, for example, most people will say, well, I mean, obviously I don't think this. I'm just saying, why? And it's like, why is it so obvious? Are people who don't think whatever you called obvious, are they dumb? Like, where did you decide that it was obvious? If it wasn't the gospel, right? If it wasn't the truth, then on what basis have you decided that? So it's not just about what others are saying, it's about what you're saying, right? When you're, if somebody ever points out that you might be mistaken, what's your reaction? If it's not peaceful, on some level you think you're the standard, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be worked up, right? Whereas if you were happy to be wrong, it'd be like, oh, maybe you're right, right? And I've seen somebody do this. It was actually, it was entertaining to watch because of how abnormal it's become, right? It was, it was actually a, a clergyman in, in a meeting who like, he was in charge of the meeting and he brought up some, uh, it, it, was, it was a bishop. And he brought up a topic for discussion, and he was like, I'm opening this up for discussion. And he gave his opinion, starting, and said now, whoever has opinions. And someone took the Zoom mic and went off. And it was so funny to watch Sayyidina's reaction, um, because it's so anti how society works, where he literally was sincerely like nodding, Right, even though he's he's like the person is trying to dismantle everything he said, and he's like, and he meant it. That's an opinion. Great. I wasn't claiming absolute truth. Any other thoughts, fathers? Right, but everyone else's reaction is like, what? Right, because we're 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 now conditioned to be like, let me defend my position, and here's why your critique of my position is messed up. Right, and so then all we ever want is our position to win, which means that we're just as arrogant and judgmental, et cetera, et cetera, as everybody that we're talking about in the question, right? And so if you start thinking that way, your speech will change. Stop starting with statements and start starting with questions, right? Where'd you get that opinion from? As a sincere question, not as an interrogation, right? Because if it's interrogation, it's, it's, it's just a statement with a question mark instead of a period, right? But if instead it's just like, I didn't think of it that way, like what was that based on? Or let's say somebody comes charging at you being like, you did this and this and this and this, right? Now if you're the one charging, instead, hey, I noticed you did this, um, why did you do this, right? I, like in some nice way. And the other person being like, oh, of course you're looking for the wrong. Right? You could ask, oh, what did I do that made you interpret it that way? Right? Suddenly you're in, you're in a dialogue instead of a debate. Right? But now everything is a debate with 140 characters. So if instead you can switch that way of thinking, you'll notice when those suppositions are happening and you yourself will become more humble and say, do I even know the answer to this? And you'll be so much more comfortable saying you don't know. And it's a really enjoyable place to be. There's no pressure. There's less yelling. Right? Just being, I don't know. I don't owe you the answer. I don't even know it. Right? Like, if somebody's like, why does this happen? Do I, I don't know. Right? Like, even sometimes as a priest, when people want me to, I feel like some people want me to lawyer for God. I'm like, he can lawyer for himself. Right? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not here to declare to you the word of God, I'm not a prophet. Prophets get to do that, right? So that's the, the last piece is, is it even my role? Is it my role to speak? Who am I speaking for, right? Like, because something that also creates that judgment and anger and negativity is that we tend to take on roles that don't belong to us by overstepping our boundaries, right? So think about your own expertise and think about anybody who's spoken about your expertise in front of you ignorantly and how that rubbed you. And then be like, now how often am I doing that? Right, because it starts with, with right here. So the, I guess the final summary of that would be, you're not the truth, 
the truth is the truth. So if you want humility, it's to simply subject anything that you're thinking towards truth. That's all it is. Once you do that, you're chill because you have no obligation or duty. And if someone judges you for it, you won't care because it's not about you, it's about the truth, right? So, okay, insult the truth all you want, right? Imagine, like, there's a debate, again, apparently, about whether the earth is round or flat, right? So for those who believe that it's round, right, as a, as a fact, right, they're not really, hopefully, worked up about somebody who thinks it's flat. Those who are worked up, I wonder why. I'm like, it's not yours. Right? Like, you, you didn't make it round. Why are you so upset? Right? And if you think it's flat, why are you so mad if someone else thinks it's round? It's either flat or it's round. And none of them have anything to do with what you did. You just walk on it. Right? So divorce it from that. Like, it, it's not yours. Right? And then you can show. Um... How does one combat feelings of self-righteousness when one is genuinely making uh, progress spiritually? That's related to humility, actually. And again, I want to I wanna, like, emphasize what humility isn't. Because again, start learning nouns again. Um, because when we have a wrong definition of a noun, then we have a wrong behavior to follow, right? Humility, like we said earlier this week, is not woe is me and rip my clothing and ash on my on my head okay that doesn't make me humble humble is literally just saying this thing in front of the truth what's going on here so as we talked about the image and likeness of god if god is the original portrait of which we are supposed to be objectively perfect replicas then humility is to take the replica and put it in front of the original and compare. That's why humility is a thing between me, who I am, in front of God, not anybody else. Him as standard and me as supposed to be reflection. Because humility can contain in it something positive, not just the negative. So humility is not just saying, hey, in this portrait it's red and I'm green. Something's wrong, objectively. That's one side of humility. But humility is actually also recognizing that's blue and this is blue and that's good because I'm matching, right? So we tend to ignore that part. And the reason I'm saying that is with the question of saying combating feelings of self-righteousness is because the way that you won't be self-righteous when you know that something's right is saying, I'm not the author of this portrait. I'm right because it's right. I'm not right because I'm right. And that, that's the difference, right? It's like, if you can understand it that way, it's like walking around being like, yo, check it, my kidneys are healthy. And it's like, good, right? That's something to be happy about. But I'm, I mean, you didn't invent what a healthy kidney is. You just have one, right? You might be doing something that makes your kidney sick, and then, again, humility would be saying, recognizing that my, my, my kidney is wrong compared to objective right kidneys, right? But I'm saying humility is also saying, my lungs look right, but they're not right because I invented right lungs, right? So I might rejoice in my participation in maintaining good lungs, maintaining good kidney, Right? There's nothing wrong with rejoicing in that. That's why Christ said, you get to eat from the fruit in, in, in the labor. Right? Like He lets us eat from it. It's just that it's only gone wrong when I start attributing the source of goodness, the source of rightness, to me being the source. Right? That's when it's out of order in any direction. Right? That way people can chill. Because it's like, if you start losing weight and getting better health, no one thinks you're weird if you're happy, right? Like if you are suddenly going up the stairs and you're not out of breath, and you're like, I'm not out of breath, right? That's an accomplishment and no one's gonna be like, don't, don't be excited, right? Like, because I think we do that like spiritually, like, yeah, be excited, right? But don't, don't, but, this, but the reason why you're healthy is because of what health is, 
right? You just been running into it more. You've been discovering it more. You've been working in it and with it more. Um, that way you will not have the self-righteousness. So whenever you find that you do have a self-righteous thought, just root it back to the truth right away, right? Of being like, okay, no, the positive here is that there is something good that I'm noticing, if it is objectively right. It's just that I'm not the reason why it is, right? But thank you, Lord, because that's sick. I really love going up the stairs without losing breath, right? And then turn it into a prayer of gratitude and still enjoy it, right? That's like it's, The solution is not to wag your head and be like, I'm filthy, I'm a scumbag. Um, you'll have trouble convincing yourself of it sometimes. Why aren't we talking about porn in the church as much as we should based on its prevalence? So I guess the question presupposes that we don't talk about it as much as we should. Um, I don't know how much we should. It's a, it's a tough one. I don't, I, don't know the, I don't know the answer, and I'm sure every community is different. Um, I would agree that my own personal observation, relatively subjectively, might be that we should talk about it more. But I also understand the hesitation. It's a, it's a tough one. Right? In the sense of when you talk about certain things, you can also expose it to people who weren't thinking about those things. Um, and I've seen that happen, and it's really scary. And I was like, oh my goodness, did I introduce this kid to sin? Um, like, it's, it's scary. Um, and so it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the cause of that. Right? At the same time, like as you're saying, definitely it's a prevalent issue. Not talking about it, I think, does discourage some people from, like, getting help because they feel more ashamed. That's one extreme that I've seen, but I've also seen the other extreme that I found really bizarre. Um, where like in my generation, if somebody watched that, you didn't talk about it with your friends. Now people like share it, which is weird um, in my view, subjectively. Um, but also people will talk about their personal habits when it comes to everything around that sin. Where I'm like, that's really forward. Um, and the reason I'm highlighting that is saying, okay, both extremes do ex exist, if I can call them extremes. And how to navigate each culture within that, I think, has its own complications, right? Of like, is it a good idea? Like, um, so I don't know if the issue is that we don't talk about it as, as much. It might be that we don't talk about it in the right way. Um, it might be that we don't have enough even, like, pointing to where and how to talk about it. Um, but I've heard people talking about doing like um, programs like with their clergy and servants um, to, to combat this. So that's something I think it really just depends on where you are. But if you feel that your own local community doesn't, reach out to your leaders and ask them, right? And just be like, is there an avenue that could be taken to increase this? Especially like you guys are lucky living in, in this area that you have this many churches. Right, because it could be that one church has a special program that another church doesn't, like for a specific thing. That's one of the advantages when there's a lot of churches in a small geography, um, is that that can create opportunities that aren't available in other places. Um, what's your suggestion for a beginner spiritual canon for someone who does not have one? I think I'd be, I'm anxious to answer that um, because it, it ought to be very personal. Um, and if, like, because somebody's beginner canon could be really heavy compared to somebody who's even had a canon for a decade, and another person, like, might be the complete opposite. Right, where it needs to be like nice and, and light. So I would rather just say that a canon on some level should include some program for the frequency in which you converse with God formally on purpose. Right? Because the goal of a canon is is not to make the relationship with God the canon. The canon is there to help you develop a relationship with God. Right? In the same way, for example, that if I have actively chosen to get to know somebody, right? I mean, I could awkwardly declare my friendship, right? And just be like, I declare you friend, right? And I mean, that might be socially acceptable some places. But if I did, right, or even just said, hey, awkwardly, I'd like to be your friend, I'd be like, okay. 
then the next person like, and now what? And the, the canon is meant to help with the now what? Okay, so it's to say, well, I mean, I guess we should talk, right? So what do we talk about? And so the canon is saying, here are some things you could talk about, right? Just, I don't think a lot of people understand the canon, right? So like, you can try this, you can try this, you can try this. So your canon needs to have languages of talking, right? But then it might be like, hey, I'm not much of a talker, but like, I love hikes. So the canon might include specific activities that we do together, right? Of being like, well, how about we go for hikes? We don't have to talk the whole time, right? The canon should have in it a way that shows that I value the other person. That's why I think canons should have some level of almsgiving or service, right? That there's an aspect of I give. I don't just take, right? Um, trying to remember what else we got. Um, I personally tend to like there to be at some point something, and I'm counting Bible as part of the language of prayer, but um, I lost my train of thought. Um, uh, spiritual reading or fasting or both. Um, of discipline, but that might not be in everybody's beginner canon. I just think that learning how to challenge my will is a per an important part of a friendship, not just with God, of being able to, because if a friendship is giving and taking, if you as a friend are like, I want this now, right? I have this emotion, feed me my need now. I need to learn how to be able to say, I'm less important right now. Right, so fasting is one of those tools. It has many more meanings than just that, right? But I'm just trying to give you the the the, the components of the canon to understand their purpose as opposed to it being your relationship. Because if you reduce your relationship to, we walked, we talked, we hiked, we discussed, we're friends, right? Because check, 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 we did these activities. Whereas those are just events that happen between friends. Right? And then as I grow in that relationship, the form of canon changes. right? And the need for a consistent canon is that especially at the beginnings and, and, and different oscillations throughout life, we might not naturally always be in the mood, which is part of the non-selfishness of friendship, is that my friend might say, like in the question from earlier, of like, I'm down, I'm, I would like some company. I might not be in the mood to give my friend that company. Right, I'm like, oh, right? Like they're always like Debbie Downer, but if I've learned how to be sacrificial, it's like it doesn't matter. Actually, my friend needs me right now, right? So even though I would rather insert whatever activity here, I choose friend, right? So it's that's that's kind of what's behind the canon. So I would say go speak to your spiritual director for one. But in my mind, those are the, the elements of, of, of it. How can we stop worrying about our future by stop thinking about it? Right? Just live in the present moment. What's in the realm of your control right now? You cannot control the future. So if all you think about in the future is something that you cannot control, no answer will not give you worry. No matter what any answer anybody gives you, you will not find peace. Because there will always be a, a what if in response to anything anybody told you, right? But if instead it's just like, yeah, I have me right now. I can respond to my immediate situation. How do I choose to respond immediately, right? And then you'll find you're really at peace, just naturally. You won't be thinking about how to be peaceful. You will just become peaceful. Right? There's nothing that will um, trouble you. What are some ascetical practices for anger and anxiety? Um, those are two very different ones, um, but they're also on some level connected. The key, again, to all of your emotions is to enter into the thoughts, right? The fancy word for it is your logos moi, 
okay, of like what are the suggestions, what are the ideas um, in your head. Anger is always rooted in not getting your way. Always. Right? If it was something else, it would be very strange. Right? People don't typically get upset when things went exactly how they wanted. People don't typically get upset if people agree with them. Right? People don't typically get upset when everything happens the way they wanted it to happen. They get upset when they had a thought, an expectation, an opinion, a will, a desire, a thing, and the thing was not met. Right? So then, if I bring it back to humility and realize that I am actually not owed anything. This is very high-level spirituality, right? Then I'll never be angry, right? So then the practice becomes identifying what are those things that did get me angry, right? Because then those are the places that the Desert Fathers, since you're asking for asceticism, would say, let's fast from those things, right? So if it's, I don't like that I'm not praised at work, an ascetical practice might be not only to not seek praise or recognition or promotion, it's a very hard exercise, I'm not saying that that is the exercise, I think that could be an exercise. It might be to also not just, but to find a way to praise everybody at work. Right? That, again, there's different kinds, I'm not saying that's the standard. Right? If my issue is that I, I want control over the situation, maybe I will fast from being the decision maker, even if it's my authority to make the decision, right? And say, I'm going to start off by asking everybody else first and use someone's suggestion instead of mine. Then I can no longer, because then now I've practiced not getting my way, so not getting my way doesn't even bother me, right? until I become detached from things. And detachment doesn't mean never having them. It means I'm not owning you, right? So that's for anger. Anxiety is coming from the worrying about the future. And that's something number one is start today, okay, of this, this moment, right? Like whatever it is, I'm only right here, right now. Is there something in my decision today that, it, it, that it, it explicitly affects tomorrow? Cool, if so, yeah, but that's right now, right? I'm not thinking about what I'll do tomorrow to affect the day after. There's a decision today that affects tomorrow. That's fine, right? That's one thing. Number two is to have your goals align properly because the thing that you really want, that you're anxious about, does it hold the right place in your mind that it should? That's means identifying the thoughts, right? Like some people, some people are just worried that every possible bad thing could happen tomorrow. Another person is just worried about not getting one particular thing. Another person is worried about somebody's reaction to something, right? Like there's, there's a, a billion different things. So it's like this thing that I'm worried about, what is it? Right? Does it warrant that? Is, that? is that an ordinate amount of space and time in my mind or not? Right? If yes, cool. There might be a real issue. But then what is it that I can do right now about it? And keep it simple. Right? Let's say I'm worried somebody will think I'm a liar. I'm thinking like, like what's in the realm of control? What is in my sphere of influence that can affect that? Why do I already, why is it that I believe that this third person is going to think I'm alive? Is there something that I said that was misleading? Did somebody say something? Is there anything I about that? Maybe it's to confront and be like, I heard that it was said that I said this. It, it arrived to me. I want to clarify that I didn't. Done. Because I can't control if they still think I'm alive. I can only control whether I really did it or not. If I really did it, say sorry. Right? If I didn't, I didn't, and I'm bringing attention to it. Right? And now, if the person wants to believe I'm a liar anyway, that's not under my control. Right? So, done. Right? Time itself will have to show its thing, and I'm not responsible for how the other person views me. Right? That's one kind of anxiety. 
Another one, and I, not everybody is capable of doing this. Um, I, sorry, I think everyone's capable of doing this eventually. It just it needs training. And this is connected when I'm saying, does it occupy the right space in my mind? If the goal of living is unity with God, the goal is not anything else. If the meaning of everything is in God, which is reality, right? Whether it's family, work, anything, its meaning can only be found in design, in creation, right? Then these things are just tools, not means. And why I'm saying that is because the part that I think people could struggle with that I think is a helpful exercise, if you at least have it in your mind to work towards, is accept the worst case scenario because whatever it is is not a big deal, including death. Right? Because death is just a moment if you believe in what we believe in. Right? Work is just a tool if you believe in what we believe in. Family is a means if you believe in what, we're, what we believe in. Right? So if those are the things, they're like, okay, so I don't have this means right now, that's all. But the actual goal is over here. This doesn't affect the real goal. Then saying, what is your goal? Right? Because if the goal, like the first talk, right? what's your purpose? If the, if the purpose, if the goal, if the idea is out of order, whatever follows will also be out of order. So if I realize that it's actually never a big deal, the worst case is not, I will be anxious over nothing. But I'm like, but the starting small is by starting today. Right? That's the big picture if I can get there. If I can't get there, right away, at least start with what do I have today? And that will hopefully bring me a little bit more in line. Um, how do we fight boredom? Prayer. You don't always have to fight it. Like, you might just be bored. And that's perfectly fine. Right? There might be something you're doing that was worthy of, of, of it. But, like, think about your normal, again, relationships with people. Are you never bored out of your mind with other people? Have you never experienced boredom in your life? Was that a sign of something messed up in your life? Not necessarily, right? Actually, one of the healthiest signs of couples is that they're comfortable being bored out of their minds together, right? Because the act of love is the, is the choosing each other in spite of feelings, right? So what I'm saying is don't get worked up that you're bored as though the goal, and then part of the reason I'm saying this is I think people make a goal out of prayer to be emotional, and then you're living artificially, and then you know you're living artificially, right? For, for those who are maybe self-accusatory more than others, right? Of being like, but I'm not, I'm just making it up, right? I'm playing the song that makes me cry so that I can induce emotions, right? And it's just like, but why is that the emotion you're trying to induce? Why can't you be happy today, right? Why do you have to cry, right? Why do you need to be delirious with joy when you're actually sad? Like, you're actually sad. I had... Um, an experience, I tell this story too much, and now that everything is online, I'm like, everybody knows everything. Um, but there was, a, there was a kid who died in California, I didn't know him. Um, he was like 21, 22, but I knew his, 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 his friend crew, right? Um, tragic death, everybody's worked up, everybody's sad, like everybody's broken. Some priest from LA Diocese that I met once in my life died, all the priests were upset, he's apparently a big deal, right? And you're, I'm going to funerals, I'm going to Azas, I'm walking with like, it was an intense week, like the, like a couple of atheists at Vaza that are like, I want to talk to you, and I'm, I'm brand new, brand new priesthood, brand new city, brand new everything, right? Then something happened in my home church, like here in Canada, that distressed me over there, like I was just a mess. So I was, and then to had insult to injury, I, like, I was driving home, my patron saying, St. Anthony, I stopped at the church in his name, and someone was mad that I was even there. Um, I'm like, what is going on? Um, and so I was supposed to have a confession appointment the next day. So I messaged like, my father a confession. I'm like, I'm not confessing. I, I have, I'm not in the mood. Like, I really don't. He's like, I went to bed, woke up, and he's like, yeah, no problem. Like, I will talk to you, but I will not confess. Um, and he's like, sure. Um, so I called and I did the whole like, hey, like, I know it's not a big deal. I don't even know why I'm sad. I don't even know the kid. I don't even know the abuna. I know that everything's going to be fine, blah, 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 blah. I just need to yada, yada, yada. Right? And so I was very surprised by his response because he was just like, Abuna, why are you trying to escape your mood? 
why don't you find Christ in your mood? So today, you're not in Christos and Esti mood. Right? Today, you're with Christ in Gethsemane. Connect with the Gethsemane Christ. Right? And he was like, and actually, maybe your canon needs to be loosened right now, not tightened. Which also surprised me, because I'm like, we're cops, it's more is better. Um, and he's like, you're not praying enough. Right? And he's like, no, chill. He's like, you actually need some community care right now. And he's like, he's like, please go out. Right? So, I mean, it's like, even he was saying, don't, you don't have to escape a mood. Right? Use the mood properly, A, and B, don't let the moods make the decisions for you, right? If there's something that has to be done in spite of mood, do that right. The part that it doesn't matter, no problem, right? So don't worry about boredom and prayer. Having said that, a pattern of boredom, never having any positive experiences, etc. that's a different kind of issue that's real, right? So then I'd be like, do you bring your mind into it? I'm just going to spit out randomness because it's what you should be sitting with your spiritual father to talk about. Right? Is it that I don't even understand the words that I'm praying? Right? So I'm literally shouting mumbo jumbo at God, of course, and bored out of my mind. Right? It's like reciting Shakespeare in Old English when you don't understand it to random people on the street. No one's enjoying it, although it might be funny to watch. Right? But you're not having a meaningful conversation. Right? Or imagine like you're only choosing topics that never interest you. Right? Because we're talking about relationship. Right? So it's just like, imagine if every time you meet somebody, they're nerd out on comp sci and you know nothing about it. Right? So you might, for out of respect, a couple of times listen and, and then just be like, I don't want to, I don't want to chill with that person. Right? I, I, there's nothing we don't connect. So it might be the language you're using. It might be the script that you're using. It might be that you're choosing all the worst times to talk to someone. You only speak to them when you're, when you're tired and upset and bored. It might be, um, that you need to, get more in, more in the zone when you do it, right? To warm up, to do it, right? Imagine if you come home, like when I would come home from work as a pharmacist, if I was working a 14-hour shift, I had no desire to talk about anything remotely serious when I got home, right? So if I come home and just like, we need to talk about, like, no, we don't. Right? And it's not going to go well. So it might be my state of mind, right, that I'm, that I'm in when I do it. It might be that I'm not attentive. It might be that I'm so self-absorbed even in my conversations with others that it's also reflecting in my prayer because I only want to think about me. And when there's not much going on for me, then prayer is not interesting, right? So there's a million things. I mean, that's just a few. There's a, there's a million reasons that it could happen. Um, so I'm saying, A, it might not be a big deal if it is... Um, Get it diagnosed. Do you have any guidance on how to live with someone who is always bitter and angry? Yeah, that can be that can be a, a tough one. Um, start off with again, what is in the realm of my control, because that might be affecting my mood too. Right? That can I actually control whether they are bitter or angry? And there are some things that might actually be in your control or within the sphere of your influence, right? So think about what you have in common with that person rather than the places that you disagree with, right? Like most people like when someone takes an interest in them, right? Most of us like that. Most of us are not, most of us are not turned off when someone says, how was your day? Right? Most of us are not turned off when someone says, hey, like, what's your favorite thing? What are you into? Tell me about it. Right? If somebody's good at cars like, and you ask them, they might geek out on that. Right? They might pull out 100 million pictures and be like, yeah, check this out. Right? Somebody who's into philosophy will be like, did you read this thing and, and get into it? Find out what the other person is interested. Don't make it about you. Because then you can find something positive to relate to. And then suddenly the kind of conversation changes. But if instead you're always making your point of interaction the place that causes the anger or the irritation, you're just feeding it. Right? Having said that, I'm sure there may be situations where they're angry anyway. Right? But I'm just saying whatever is within your ability, do. 
If they're anger, if they're angry anyway, then the first question becomes, what does the gospel ask for me to do for this person? Is there something that's asked of me? And if so, do it. Right? What is not asked, there's nothing wrong with setting up some healthy boundaries. Right? But when you set up the boundaries, you have to do it in the light of the gospel. And by that, what I mean is it can't be, I have to set these boundaries because that guy, right? That's starting from a place of judgment, which is not gospel, right? But if it's saying, I'm setting a boundary because in my weakness, I'm not able to bear this person in the fullness of the gospel, right? Lord, grant me to try and love more. Then there's a humility even in the boundary because I won't view my neighbor with contempt, Right, that to me is 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 the is is a better mindset because I think sometimes it's just like no, right? Because even sometimes I see the Christian circles where it's like, no, that's not okay, right? They can't like no. The gospel says that's more than okay, right? The gospel says if they kill you, die, right? So it is okay, but the issue is I'm not yet okay with dying, right? I'm not yet okay with being yelled at, right? If I was a little nicer, I could take being yelled at, but apparently I can't. And if you want to really excel, work on bearing yelling, right? Because then you could become, you could become a means of grace to that very person, right? That when they see your love, maybe that will affect them, right? And everybody is in need of it. And if God gave you a particular virtue, then you definitely have a duty to, right? Like if you've been gifted, you didn't work for being internally at peace, you actually have a duty because that gift is for the whole community, Right? Then I now have a duty to exercise that peace for the sake of that person who's angry. So I would navigate in that way. This is an interesting one. What is your take on God's justice versus the secular way we perceive justice? What does it truly look like or mean? If you look at the actual root word, justice or justification, making right, which is Greek for dikeosini, and I'm using that word because it has a million meanings in Greek, and, it, and that word is the source of controversy in so many things, um, because it has a legal meaning, it has a social meaning, it has many meanings, right? Is that very simply, if we talk about absolute truth the way that we were, absolute truth, just to make just, to make right, to make orthos, like orthodoxia, right? means right. And when we mean right, we don't just mean correct, which we also mean. We mean it like orthogonal, right? We mean it as in a straight line. So the justification of God is saying anything that bends away from the straight line, how do I straighten it? The goal of justification is making it just. It's making it straight, right? So that's Anything that God is doing actively always has that goal. Secular justice, I, I can't really comment on. It's, it's clearly changed over the years, over history. Like it has its own thing. It's relative, right? So, I mean, we invent our own constitution. So, secular justice is what do we vote on being right? And then what do we vote on being the solution? And it's taking on its own history. For a long time, it's been punitive. Today, the focus is on corrective. Um, sometimes it's restorative, right? There's, there's, there's a history, I'm just not interested, right? I only care about um, the divine one and that I'm not the one who does God's justification, right? God does his justification. I don't have any need to participate in it. And he's the only one who knows how to do it. Right? That's why judging is such a dangerous act. Right? It's literally to, uh, to jump in the, in the throne of the justifier. There's a few people who asked if speaking in slang is wrong. Um, it's hard to imagine saints doing it, and I don't know if it's because I use slang. Um, no. Speech is either right or wrong. So if, if the words are wrong, then the words are wrong. Now, when it comes to words, obviously there's a huge cultural context. 
right? Like that a word is not going to be intrinsically wrong. So it becomes on what is the goal and the use of the words, right? I'm not dumb that even the word dumb was probably like 40 years ago, 50 years ago or something, right? A hundred years before that, dumb just meant you couldn't speak, right? So there's, there's a history, there's an evolution of how um, words are used, right? So I would say two things kind of matter in your use of speech, regardless of whether it's slang or not. What is my intent in how I'm using language? Because I could use a clean word wrongly, right? And I do have to, on some level, take into account cultural context, right? Because culture does determine what's vulgar or not. So Christians are, are supposed to not be vulgar, let your words be seasoned with salt, right? So if my speech is vulgar, and I'm recognizing that what defines vulgar has a social context, right, then I ought not, right? That's why there are some words that I say casually because where I grew up in London, Ontario, as, as actually I was born and raised, Church was Kitchener. There were words that in my own school were actually normal and others that were really not. So I'm influenced by that. So there's words that I was using that when I moved to California, they're like, I can't believe you just said that. I'm like, really? Um, and then they're saying words, and I'm like, whoa, 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 right? Like, like that's because it was a different culture. So there are words that even though now, even in my service, some people are using in a different way than me in a perfectly fine way, I still don't use because to me, I associate it with vulgarity even though nobody else would, right? So I'm cautious of it and I just don't. Meanwhile, I'm saying words that others are like, I can't believe that Abuna just said that, right? So what's my intent? What's the meaning? And if someone reacts to me and shows me um, that there's a social meaning locally that I didn't know, I should be cognizant of that. I can be like, well, that's too bad for you, right? So like, I'm like, okay, I better be careful with these ones. I didn't know that over here, that's an issue. Do one last one. Wrap it up. I'll just choose this one randomly because there's more than 150 not seen. What do you do if you think you're attached more to people of the church than the church and God himself, specifically servants and spiritual fathers, priests? I mean, if you, if you already have that thought, then you already know that you are. Um, and that might be okay, even if it's not right. By that, what I mean is, objectively, if we understand who God is and who the family is and what the church is, right? In the normal phases of life, just think about your family for a second. You might not always appreciate what dad and mom mean. There might be periods of your life where you're just leeching off them, actually most of your life, right? There might be periods where you can't stand your siblings. And there are periods where you might be extremely close to your siblings. Right? That doesn't take away from what family is. So the nature of my relationship within the family might go through phases. That's what I'm saying. And they might be wrong. And they might not be ideal. And they might be warped. That, like, I'm saying that that could happen. You're right. It might not be. Right? What is the proper relationship? Um, that it should be. How do I be son? How do I be brother? How do I be dad? Where does family come from? Right? So, like, jumping on the right question will take you in the right way. Um, and I also don't think it's wrong, even from a faith experience, to have some dependence as you grow on other people. I think we like to, like, minimize that sometimes right for example like i've known father lazarus in egypt who you guys have probably seen on cyc like since like my late teens just knowing he existed right was a big help in some of my own warfares of being like well i trust that guy 
right? Like there's something real in his experience and I know him, right? So I, I know he's real. I know he really thinks that. I know that really is like his mindset, right? Then I'm like, what's the problem with me benefiting from that, right? Like why is that an issue? Like I don't need to be an engineer to be allowed to plug in a toaster. I can trust that the engineers knew what they were doing when they did it. Right? Do I have good reason to believe that they know what they're doing? If so, great. I don't like. I do not like my dependence on engineers. Right? No one thinks that way. Right? People aren't upset when they go to the doctor as though they were supposed to already know how to be doctors. They go to doctors because doctors are doctors. Right? So what I mean is also be careful not to hyper, like, go in a weird direction about those relationships either, right? Because if God is your father, then the church is your mother, and everyone in the church is your family. And that once that's your mindset, you'll, you'll, you'll be at peace, and the dynamic of relations within it will change um, over time to the glory of God. Um, thank you again. My fathers, and thank you guys for your patience the whole week. Um, keep me in your prayers, and may God do his will for all of us at all times. To be glory and all God's glory, Jesus. Amen.